Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 8, Episode 10, Shikata Ganai. The phrase shikata ganai is a common expression in Japan which means there's nothing to be done about something. This episode bears that phrase as a title because Yoshimitsu's final victory over the southern court in many ways established the inevitability of a new shogunate arising to take the place of the Kamakura Bakufu which preceded it. While the conflict with the Yamana clan which we discussed in the previous episode was not the last time that someone would attempt an armed uprising against the shogun, the efforts which arose thereafter were nowhere near as well organized or came as close as the Yamana to successfully checking Yoshimitsu's power. Not happy with the new warrior-led government? Too bad. Shikataganai. While we have thus far discussed the Muromachi Bakufu in only the most general terms, I think it will be useful to explore in greater detail the bureaus and departments which made it function. It may surprise you to learn that the Bakufu administration itself typically employed 100 or fewer bureaucrats at any given time, and that a lot of the initial scholars and jurists who served as administrators in the early years came directly from the Kamakura shogunate. Yes, you heard that correctly. The early Ashikaga Bakufu under Takauji specifically courted the same administrators who had been performing the bureaucratic functions for the Hojo clan under the umbrella of the Kamakura shogunate. The authors of the Kenmu formulary which formed the basis for Muromachi period shogunate law? Former Hojo administrators. While it seems surprising at first, it bears remembering that the Ashikaga clan who emerged as the dominant faction in the wake of Hojo clan collapse was primarily an association of warriors, not statesmen. Ashikaga Takauji himself had little interest in actual governance of the realm and left much of the day-to-day administration to his brother Tadayoshi, who soon began signing official documents himself rather than wait for his elder sibling to find the time. Yoshi Akira likewise preferred military pursuits and had little patience for the revenues and expenditures side of governance. This did not mean that the administrators and bureaucrats working in his name were idle, however. Indeed, they were probably busier than ever since the shogun was occupied with winning glory on the battlefield. Yoshimitsu, however, showed a real talent for governance, and it is in his reign that we see the emergence of a more fully realized shogunate bureaucracy, which contained some elements from the former Bakufu, as well as some innovations which would long outlive the last Ashikaga shogun more than 200 years later. There were several different bodies of bureaucrats who were charged with governance, so we should start at the top, the Hyojoshu. Translated as Council of State, the Hyojoshu were a deliberative and legislative body consisting of around 40 high-ranking officials. Members were generally either Ashikaga relatives and vassals which made up only a quarter of this council, or members of families which had worked for the Hojo clan under the Kamakura Bakufu. Interestingly enough, the Kanto Kubo also had his own Kanto Hyojoshu for administering the government in the east. While he was nominally subordinate to the shogun in Heian-kyo, it is not entirely a mistake to think of these two courts almost like separate states within a cooperative nation. 
The justice system under the Ashikaga was put in place, in part, to undermine the last remaining vestiges of imperial jurisprudence. Conflicts between samurai and estate owner were relatively common, and while the Kamakura Bakufu had accepted some level of imperial judicial powers in such matters, the Ashikaga insisted on revamping the Monchujo, or civil court, to chip away at the authority of the imperial courts. The new process required an imperial authorization for the case to even be heard, then the relevant shogunate bodies would hear the case and issue an opinion, then the imperial court, whether through a sitting or retired tenno, would render a decision. Applicants who were unhappy with the decisions reached could appeal directly to the bakufu, who may or may not change the ultimate verdict. In his book, The Origins of Japan's Medieval World, author Kenneth Allen Grossberg notes that the nobility of Heian-kyo were often accomplices in their own disenfranchisement, as they likewise appealed unfavorable decisions from the imperial court, just like every other party. When Yoshimitsu came to power, he began fortifying the Mandokoro, or executive board, in part by appointing the Ise clan, who were longtime hereditary Ashikaga vassals, to leadership positions. This appointment may have been partly due to the shogun's desire to bring balance to the bakufu in the wake of the Shiba versus Hosokawa dispute which caused his Kanto Kanrei Yoriyuki to be deposed, but we aren't certain of the motivation. The result was, in part, the streamlining of land taxation under the bakufu's authority, which helped both in the realm of income as well as the general bolstering of their authority. The mandokoro would often contract tax farmers for collection. Some taxes were relatively seasonal, but others were temporary levies whose funds were required for specific projects, usually construction-related. Religious establishments were especially singled out for taxation when a shrine or temple needed repairs or renovations. It was Yoshimitsu who finally brought about the reforms to the tax code which we discussed in episode 5 of this season, Revenues and Expenditures, which helped not only fund Yoshimitsu's extravagant building projects, but also helped him shore up the Hokoshu, the shogun's private army. That private army proved extremely important, not only for Yoshimitsu, but for many shoguns who came thereafter. While the defense of Heian-kyo from the Yamana clan's attempted coup was a joint effort of many vassal clans, it was the Hokoshu who represented the greatest number of soldiers from a single faction at that event. While it was true that the other powerful clans could certainly outnumber the shogunate if they banded their armies together, the shogunate's private army was around ten times the size of any one of the quasi-independent shugo. The destinies of those semi-independent shugo was radically altered when Yoshimitsu commanded that they all take up residence in the capital and appoint lieutenants in the regions and provinces which they ruled to collect the taxes due to them. Because things were relatively stable during Yoshimitsu's reign, at least compared with the preceding decades, the powerful shugo complied and left the day-to-day management of their lands to their trusted lieutenants, who were often relatives or hereditary vassals. This brings us to the Samurai Dokoro. You may recall that the Bureau of Samurai Affairs was originally founded by Minamoto Yoritomo and dealt primarily with enforcing land claims and affirming status. However, the Muromachi Bakufu did not have the resources to enforce the Samurai Dokoro's authority nationwide. 
As a result, the Bureau would mostly deal with disputes and claims in Yamashiro province and occasionally one of the surrounding provinces in Kansai, but rural samurai in far-flung regions like Kyushu or Tohoku were on their own. Unable to rely on shogunate support, they would need to look elsewhere for confirmation and enforcement of their land claims, usually to regional magnates who gladly took the opportunity to recruit more vassals to fight on their behalf. The Cole brothers and other like-minded samurai of their time are said to have desired the complete overthrow of the imperial family in favor of an all-powerful bakufu. While the prospect of absolute rule was no doubt tempting for ambitious rulers like Takauji, Yoshiakira, and Yoshimitsu, all three appear to have been practical men who understood that to attempt such a thing would only lead to their own ruin and national disaster. It was Yoshimitsu, however, who seems to have found the right blend of forward-thinking innovation and traditionally conservative governance which laid the bureaucratic foundation which the Ashikaga shogunate had thus far lacked. Combined with his ability to provoke the more powerful Tozama samurai into losing fights, as he had done with the Yamana clan, Yoshimitsu seems uniquely suited to lead the Bakufu at a critical juncture. With the Yamana clan reduced to three provinces from their former eleven, peace at last returned to the realm. (laughs) Just kidding. While the Yamana had the largest land holdings of any one family, they were not the only house which Yoshimitsu believed needed some downsizing. These clans held land in trust through their appointment or inheritance of the Shugo office, and they came to be called Shugo Daimyo. The word Daimyo is a junction of two Japanese words, dai, which means large, and myoden, a two-kanji compound which means private field, but was shortened to its first kanji, just myo. Thus, shugo daimyo could be interpreted to mean steward of large private fields. In 1394, with the Yamana clan neutralized and the southern court having surrendered, Ashikaga Yoshimitsu retired from office at the age of 36, and his eight-year-old son Yoshimochi was installed as the new shogun. As you can probably infer from the new shogun's extremely young age, Yoshimitsu intended to continue governing as a retired shogun. He did shave his head and enter religion, and many of the shugo daimyo shaved their heads and took vows as monks as a sign of respect. While the Insei system had introduced a way for retired sovereigns to pretend that they were releasing the reins of power while actually adopting more power, Yoshimitsu would take religious retirement power enhancement to a whole new level. While much of Kyushu was out of the practical political control of the Bakufu, the Dazaifu administration was still very much in their hands. Because taxing commerce had proven such a lucrative source of income for the government, Yoshimitsu wanted to encourage more trade, especially with nations like China and Korea. Both countries had experienced a change in governing dynasties, which we will discuss in greater detail very soon. One of the Shugo daimyo who shaved his head in solidarity with the retiring Yoshimitsu was Ouchi Yoshihiro, the leader of the powerful Ouchi clan who controlled six provinces in northern Kyushu and throughout Chugoku. It seems that Yoshihiro had been preparing a rebellion against Yoshimitsu for some years before the two came to blows, 
probably hoping to avoid the fate of the Yamana clan by being ready to strike first. The issue which Yoshihiro used as a pretense against the shogun was taxation. Now that he was a retired monk, Yoshimitsu decided he needed to construct a residence suitable for such a humble profession. I've already mentioned King Kakuji, or the Golden Pavilion, but it's worth going into some detail here about what the building reveals regarding Yoshimitsu's ultimate goal. In addition to being covered in gold leaf, the roof bears an ornament of the Ho bird, a mythical Chinese phoenix which they call a Huang. In Japan, the Ho was a symbol of the imperial family, since the bird was said to be born from the sun, and the emperor was said to descend from Amaterasu, the goddess of the sun. Yoshimitsu's intention, however, was not to pay tribute to the emperor, but to himself. It is clear both from the construction of Kinkakuji and many very overt later actions that Yoshimitsu wanted to be seen as being ranked above the emperor. To fund the construction of his humble gold-encrusted retirement villa, Yoshimitsu levied a tax on the Shugo Daimyo. Certainly, this was a structure intended to house the retired shogun himself, so it made sense that the military leaders would fund the project. Ouchi Yoshihiro, however, took offense at the idea that Yoshimitsu was putting his hand in their pockets to pay for a retirement home even more luxurious than the Muromachi Palace itself. Ouchi Yoshihiro was not just some hot-headed young Shugo Daimyo who leapt before he looked. Before mobilizing his troops in western Kansai, he took great care to ensure that the Shugo of Chugoku would stay out of the fight, lest he be caught between their armies and the shoguns. In late 1399, he departed the capital for the town of Sakai, a growing trade town which is today a district in Osaka. He fortified the city and the surrounding plain of Izumi with defensive towers and ditches to prevent a successful siege. In addition to the Ouchi clan's considerable accumulation of power, they had also been trading directly with China and Korea, reaping massive economic benefits which Yoshimitsu believed ought to be under the control of the Bakufu. To prevent a seaborne attack on Sakai, Yoshihiro allied with pirates in the area, who also helped him to communicate with allies in the provinces of southern Kansai who were mobilizing forces of their own. Concerned that a large army from Kanto might be raised and brought to bear against him, Ouchi Yoshihiro reached out to a disgruntled former servant of the Bakufu, Imagawa Ryoshun. Although he had served as Kyushu Tandai, in 1395 he was recalled to Heian-kyo, where he was accused of acting as an independent operator, making personal treaties with the clans of Kyushu, as well as China and Korea on his own behalf, rather than the Bakufus. He was removed as Tandai and installed as Koshugo of Suruga province in western Kanto, governing there alongside his nephew. Ryoshun is credited with connecting Ouchi Yoshihiro with Ashikaga Mitsukane, the Kanto Kubo of Kamakura. Mitsukane was a cousin of Yoshimitsu, but he agreed to help Yoshihiro in his rebellion. If Yoshihiro had managed to organize his army into a march on the capital at the same time Mitsukane arrived with a massive Kanto force, it seems probable that this would have been the end of Yoshimitsu's reign at the very least. However, 
Such coordination was beyond the capabilities of these two warrior chieftains. Yoshimitsu understood the danger in letting Yoshihiro continue to organize and sent the Hoko Shu to deal with the upstart Shugo Daimyo in Sakai. He hired his own bands of pirates who operated around Shikoku to disrupt Yoshihiro's buccaneer navy and prevent further communication from getting through. Then Yoshimitsu personally took overall command of the assault, sending three divisions of the Hoko Shu army to take Ouchi Yoshihiro down. The battle was difficult on both sides, as Izumi province had been well fortified and the Shogun's army made slow progress there at the end of 1399 and through the very beginning of 1400. In mid-January, however, the Hoko Shu utilized a weapon of war which will come into extremely common use at the end of this season. During a particularly windy day, they successfully set fire to the town of Sakai, and the north-blowing wind spread the flames throughout the entire city with terrible quickness. Surrounded by flames and panicked soldiers, Yoshihiro committed ritual suicide, and the Oe Rebellion, named for its imperial era, was over. As for Ashikaga Mitsukane, while he had managed to raise a mighty Kanto army, they were still traveling through Musashi province, which is in Kanto, when word came that Yoshihiro was dead and the Ouchi Rebellion was over. On the advice of his Kanto Kanre, Uesugi Norisada, he turned back to Kamakura and prepared to beg his cousin for forgiveness. The following year, a pardon was granted after sufficient repentance had been demonstrated. It's worth pausing the narrative here to discuss the Hoko Shu. While I have referred to them broadly thus far, they were not just random warriors in the employ of the Bakufu. In his book Japan's Renaissance, author and historian Kenneth Allen Grossberg lists three sources of recruitment for the Hoko Shu. The first was from members of families related to the Ashikaga, as well as Ashikaga cadet clans like the Hosokawa, Ueno, and Imagawa clans, along with vassals belonging to Shugo Daimyo clans. The second was members of longtime hereditary vassal clans of the Ashikaga, like the Issei and Ko clans, and the third was from influential G samurai who controlled concentrations of land in close proximity, usually within a single province. The land holdings of the G samurai who were recruited into the Hokoshu were placed under direct Bakufu protection, even from the local Shugo, and the proprietors allowed to pay taxes directly to the shogunate, bypassing the profiteering middlemen. The army itself was divided into five divisions, or banners. While the Hokoshu was generally large enough in numbers to outnumber many similar armies which might be raised by any given Shugo daimyo, if a number of Shugo daimyo pooled their resources, they could manage to overpower them, at least in raw numbers. Thus, it was in the interest of the shogunate to keep the Shugo daimyo at odds with one another and to do what they could to limit the influence and resources of the provincial elite. Tax money, which came directly from the Ji samurai to the Bakufu, for example, did not enrich the Shugo daimyo in whose province those Ji samurai resided. The Hoko Shu would see an incredibly massive expansion under the rule of Shogun Ashikaga Yoshinori, whom we will discuss later this season. Technically, it was only during Yoshinori's rule that the shogunal army became known as the Hoko Shu. 
During Yoshimitsu's time, they were called the Gobanshu. I opted to generally stick with Hokoshu for simplicity's sake. An important distinction regarding the Hokoshu is that their fealty was to the Bakufu, not the Ashikaga clan. The Ashikaga still had their own retainers and feudal structure. The Hokoshu had various duties when they were not in the field, including guarding the shogun's residence as well as tending to the Bakufu's shoens in the provinces. These estates were also off-limits to the shugo and paid taxes directly rather than through an intermediary. In spite of the Hokoshu's creation, the threat of large-scale regional power would remain a constant danger. Yoshimitsu diligently set about neutralizing overpowered clans like the Yamana and the Ouchi, but only constant vigilance could curtail the accumulation of power by the Shugo Daimyo and their lieutenants. It was also in the interest of the Muromachi Bakufu to try and bring the outer reaches of the nation under their control. Southern Kyushu was essentially an autonomous zone, as was much of Tohoku, the northernmost region. The Date clan of Mutsu province had been staunch southern court partisans who fought alongside Kitabatake Akiye near the Nanbokucho War's beginning, but had submitted to the Bakufu before the war's end. In the early 1400s, however, the chieftain of the Date clan raised several rebellions against Ashikaga Mitsukane, the Kanto Kubo. The conflict seems to have begun with Mitsukane's demand that the Date give back some land they had won in a regional conflict, and the Date refused. However, wars in Tohoku were always difficult to resolve, especially against longtime residents who knew the land, and the regional government in Kamakura was unable to bring the matter to a close. There were also periodic risings by remnants of the Kitabatake clan in Ise province, but these were not disruptive enough to warrant more direct intervention. Eventually, these revolts fizzled. During Yoshimitsu's time, things appeared generally pretty stable, especially considering the chaos and constant fighting that defined the reigns of his predecessors. Heian-kyo was finally able to rebuild for the long term now that it was not constantly changing possession between two belligerent factions. The economy was thriving thanks in part to the revival of international trade, and much of the nation was firmly in the Bakufu's control. On the reconciliation side, Yoshimitsu took great care in not gloating about his victory over the southern court and frequently went on pilgrimages to the Issei Grand Shrine and worshipped Amaterasu there. The shrine and its caretakers had provided material and spiritual support to the southern court, so the shogun's visit, which included a massive entourage, was a sign of respect and an indication that he would not pursue any retaliation. Yoshimitsu's religious leanings, while in part an attempt to enhance his own power, also somewhat echo the spiritual life of his grandfather Takauji. In 1339, Emperor Go-Daigo died, and the founder of the Ashikaga Bakufu felt a sudden surge of guilt at his passing. To honor the late Tenno, Takauji ordered that the Kameyama Palace, named for the late Emperor Kameyama, would be transformed into a temple which would pay tribute to Emperor Go-Daigo's passing. The monk Muso Soseki was tasked with the project, and the conversion was completed in 1345. On the day that marked the seventh anniversary of Emperor Go-Daigo's passing, a solemn memorial service was conducted there, followed by a celebration of the temple's completion. 
Ashikaga Tadayoshi allegedly had a dream about a golden dragon flying around a river that lies just to the south of the temple, thus it was named Tenryuji, or Sky Dragon Temple. Takauji regularly undertook grand pilgrimages and gave lavish gifts to various religious orders, and Yoshimitsu certainly seems to have followed suit. He traveled to Nara and all the great shrines throughout Kanto, giving fine gifts as tribute to those institutions. When we return to Japan a few episodes from now, we will also discuss his relationship with the Zen Gozan temples around Heian-kyo. Next time, however, we will turn our eyes to the West, as the Yuan dynasty would face a series of declines and disasters from which Mongol rule in China and Korea would never recover. Until then, thank you for listening. If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash ahistoryofjapan.